0: Welcome to J-Life with Daniel. I'm your host, Rabbi Daniel Levine. Okay, well, in most years, over the past couple of years, I had the opportunity to sit with my friend, Rabbi Nico Sokolovsky on Rosh Hashanah evening and give sort of a Jewish State of the Union, asking the big questions of what Jews should be talking about in the year to come. Over the summer, Rabbi Niko moved up to Northern California to become the senior rabbi of Shir Chadash. And so now we are recording a special podcast episode of what should the Jews be thinking about in this upcoming year. Rabbi Nico, welcome to J-Life with Daniel.
1: Thank you, Daniel. It's actually a, an, an honor and a privilege uh, to have the opportunity to once again uh, discuss with you what the Jews should be thinking about in the year that is uh, coming. And uh, it is always a pleasure to study Torah with you.
0: I love it. So we're, we're two rabbis, so we probably have about six different opinions about any of these issues that I'm gonna bring up. I really wanted to focus on four major issues that I think the Jewish community has been talking about over the past year, and I think will continue to be bigger issues. I think first and foremost, we are sort of going into a post-COVID era. Obviously COVID is still around, but as of now, the vast majority of precautions that the Jewish community's taken have sort of ceased to exist. But we're stuck in this interesting situation. I'm trying to think even how to frame this, where we've come up with all these technological initiatives over COVID, right? So we've started live streaming services outside of the Orthodox community. We've started moving a lot of things to Zoom, weekday classes and things like that. Now that those are no longer important precautions for health, but they're more convenient, quote unquote, I'm curious what you think this year will come, what you think about the pros and cons of this, you know, anything and everything.
1: That's a very interesting question. I I, I wouldn't use the word convenience uh, because I think that for many, uh, the possibility of using uh, Zoom or other um, streaming channels is inclusive. That's how we include certain um, uh, parts of our population. I, I will never forget that um, a couple of years ago, DBT, uh, the community in Fullerton, uh, where we met and we worked together, um, pretty early started to to stream before the pandemic, and um, and we had two congregants, a couple, that uh, were uh, in the hospital for Yom Kippur, and uh, and, and I reached out to them uh, after uh, after Yom Kippur, and they said to me, Rabbi, we were with you but most importantly, you were with us. Mm. Uh, So the the streaming fulfills a very, very important role, but we are dealing with, um, you you use the word convenience. I don't want to use that word, but with a lack of custom in terms of showing up of participating now in person, if I can uh, connect or live stream the service and have dinner at the same time, so I prefer uh, to do that from home. Uh, or and and I think that we need to somehow somehow rehab uh, the the muscle of uh, showing uh, showing up. I think it's a very important thing. Uh, but nonetheless, considering that people that are showing up in in uh, in Zoom, they are showing up as well.
0: Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, two, two immediate things pop into my head. They're actually sort of sort of opposites here, so I'll throw them both out. One, I'm worried that the proliferation of technology, while I totally agree in terms of the inclusive elements, it's great, is leading to a further centralization of shul in terms of the liberal Jewish community. Which, on you know, at the forefront, that seems great. Of course, the synagogue should be the center of community. But really, I would argue the home is the center of Jewish community, and Shabbat is truly felt in Shabbat dinners with guests or Shabbat lunch or sort of in the hallways before and after davening, right? And shul is just sort of, you know, the meeting place, right? Really the, the beta Knesset, right? The place where, where people go in together. I'm worried that by live streaming services, we're sort of making the claim implicitly that the important practice of Shabbat is those one, two, three hours from 9 to 11 a.m., whatever time davening is, and that is your Shabbat observance. And then afterwards, you know, if it's the case that then everyone goes and meets up for Shabbat lunch at different houses, I think that would be great. But I'm worried that the effect isn't just, oh, the seats in the shul are empty because everybody's at Zoom. I'm worried that this actually ends up affecting wider communal cohesion because all of a sudden now, instead of shul being a place where people gather, it's becoming more and more a place where people come and they watch somebody lead services.
1: You could argue exactly the opposite. You could say that because we have now um, services that are being streamed or, or shared, You know, I, I want to make the distinction between participation in Zoom or in a, in a, in a, in a, in a media channel that allows you uh, to see and to be seen uh, as opposed to a streaming a service. Uh, which is like watching service uh, in TV. But you could say, as as I said earlier, th- the opposite. You could say that because we have now uh, services that go all the way to your home, it somehow uh, invites you or, uh, uh, or, or brings you uh, in a more intentional way to be aware of Shabbat. And because of that, people... Uh, connects uh, more with services and prayers because otherwise they wouldn't go anyway it's not that our uh, services were uh, full of people before the pandemic and once people started to go in zoom then we lost them all So w- we are we are dealing with uh, with uh, questions that, about how to reclaim um Judaism how to uh, uh, reclaim um spirituality we are talking, I think we are dealing with a, a gap in terms of how uh, the liberal Judaism nurtured spirituality over the last 20, 30 years. Uh, and what we are seeing today, which is this, this gap that we are not sure how to fill, and sometimes we tend to think that by facilitating more, by making things more simple, uh, um, we are going to uh, to bridge it, and um, I tend to disagree uh, with that idea. I think that when we try to make things simpler or or or, or easier from this perspective, and I'm not talking about accessibility, I'm talking about uh, um, over facilitating and then simplifying to a level that it feels uh, unimportant or irrelevant or unauthentic.
0: Um,
1: so I, I think that th- that that's that's one of the biggest problems that we are dealing with, and and the challenge is to 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 reclaim uh, uh, Judaism as uh, as a compelling uh, practice as, yeah, as I, a compelling I, I totally
0: agree with that analysis, with the caveat of I think what what we need to be thinking about this coming year, and this gets me to I think one of the most important things that the liberal Jewish community could do now. Is double down on efforts to cultivate a what I'll call a a community that has shabbat lunch together. And what I mean by that is, you, you know, however people connect in terms of shul, whether it's Zoom, not Zoom, even not going to shul, you know, that's that's fine. Obviously, I want I want people to go to shul. I'll just make that clear. But but I'm becoming more and more convinced that the most important element of a community and continuity and really experiencing shabbat are those shabbat lunches where you sort of meander over to a friend's house and you know no one's keeping track of time and you're just sort of hanging out for the day and that's really i think where where shabbos needs to be increasingly felt as opposed to shabbat being a day in which you go to services in the morning and then it turns into a sunday you know the second show ends
1: well if you go to services in the morning like we are because the, the the challenge that we are dealing with is not that that people are choosing a uh, Zoom or live streaming or showing up to shul. What we are dealing with is that Shabbat became an important uh, for many uh, uh, Jewish families, but also for many Jewish communities, for for lot for congregations. And uh, and I think that in an organizational level, uh, communities, uh, synagogue shows, they need to claim Shabbat as the central square of our town. Now, we have a village, communities are a village. We need to say that they, (laughs) not only to say, we we need to act as if Shabbat was the central square of our town. And we want everybody to show up or to connect uh, or, or, or to celebrate around Uh, this central square Uh, in a a time in which we feel at once so connected by social media, but also so dispersed uh, at a time in which uh, the Jewish community is so integrated in all uh, aspects of American life. uh, The only thing that can hold us together is our uh, awareness of time. I I often speak about the Jewish calendar in that context, but the, the initial foundation for that is Shabbat. So then, there is there are a variety of practices, or possibilities, or, or images. You know, the image that you were describing in terms of sitting uh, uh, for Shabbat's lunch with friends and losing notion of time is wonderful. That might be a possibility for certain uh, communities, for some people. That's a fantastic practice. But we need to develop a variety of practices that enter this concept of the soher Shabbat that Kushner speaks about remember the the distinction between Shomer Shabbat the Socher Shabbat, the one who keeps Shabbat in in a more uh, traditional way. On the other hand, the one who remembers Shabbat, make sure that everything they do in Shabbat is somehow related, oriented to connecting ourselves with the the Shabbat experience. And I think that that's an important challenge. So I would call uh, the Jews uh, should be thinking about reclaiming Shabbat connecting more deeply with Shabbat and therefore with spirituality and with each other
0: i love it and you know i can't help myself but you know say say one more thing on that i i promise we will uh, we will move on the the one thing that i'm worried about but i'm optimistic that with the right intentionality we can change in the year to come is you know you spoke so be- beautifully about how Shabbat is a sanctification of time right Heschel speaks about this obviously the Torah speaks about this yeah I
1: about it, Torah.
0: <laughs> yeah there we go well you know I, I'm unclear which uh, was the Torah inspired by Heschel or vice versa um the the question of or the potential problem of if Shabbat is centralized around the shul that is no longer a sanctification of time but the sanctification of place which which I, th- I think is problematic and so obviously the shul is an important cornerstone of how you spend that time but if i say shabbat to a 100 jews and you know what's the first picture that comes into your head i don't want them to all picture a shul
1: but, but that's that's the 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 chicken and the egg situation right like because in that expectation that you have or that or in that picture that you would like to see um Uh, you have a Shabbat awareness, you have awareness, you have knowledge, you have a practice, you have something uh, that brings you to celebrate Shabbat that way. Is that the case for most uh, 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 liberal American Jews? Do they have that picture? Do we have that picture in the back of our minds? So it's very difficult to return to a place that you cannot picture. And, and therefore we do have, as synagogues, as, com- as communities, the, the, the responsibility, and I'm saying in, in a simpler uh, level, the, the role of modeling a Shabbat experience that, if we do that with enough vision, will translate later on on how people want to celebrate Shabbat in their homes. With their own interpretation. I 100% agree. And this is why I think, you know. That's the chicken and egg, right? So you you would think that because of your family experience, you are seeking for a synagogue, for a shul, to partner with you and nurture what you cannot achieve as a family and you need to achieve as a community. Well, in this case, what we have is that families many times have a need for connection They don't necessarily have a picture of what they are looking for. And I think that our role as Jewish educators is to provide the context, to create the experience together with our families and hopefully to to work with them, not only to inspire them, but to uh, uh, provide them with tools to, to develop the Shabbat experience and to translate that into their own lives
0: hundred percent. And I will, I'll, 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 give you the last word on this um, one. Cause I want to move on too. I know we can talk about this forever. Just one, one note for listeners. I did give a four part lecture series over the summer about specifically this idea of Shabbat. If anybody wants it, feel free to get in touch. Um, so let's, let's move to something a little bit easier um, than Shabbat and post COVID, um, which is Israeli politics. So we're, um, we are at an interesting time. I mean, it seems like we're always at an interesting time. Um, I, you know, who knows whether or not the government will happen in Israel now? There's we're coming up on a new election. There's an interesting trend that's happening. I mean, not that it's necessarily new, but I think it will continue to be talked about in the year to come, where we have a situation where the Israeli government is becoming increasingly right wing, right? This isn't something new. This has been happening for 10, 20 years, both in terms of politics, also in terms of religion, right? A lot of things that run of the mill liberal American Jews, you know, aren't aren't so much in favor. Um, At the same time, left-wing attacks in the West against Jews and anti-Semitic forms of anti-Zionism are also getting worse. And so this has just led to so much confusion. And the confusion is now seeping into really every level of society. I mean, it used to be that, okay, you would hear about this happening in college campuses and maybe far left political groups over the past couple of years i've now heard from more and more both high schoolers and parents of high schoolers that this is coming into the high schools i've now heard this is coming into the middle schools this is obviously all over social media in terms of discussion about israel i'm curious what you think big picture what does the jewish what is the american jewish community's role in terms of our conversation about israel right what should we try to accomplish right what is it possible to accomplish
1: oh uh, no but a great uh, friend of mine once wrote an article and he called it, we need to move from Israel advocacy to Israel education. I think it was you, right? <laughs> <laughs> so that, you know, Let, let's start by the United States and then uh, I'd like to say a word about Israel. I think that for for many years, um, uh, the the Zionist approach to Israel in our communities was to do um, Israel advocacy to, to 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 nurture this status of being in love with Israel, and I think that being in love uh, 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 can be uh, heart crushing. Uh, there's a a level of unawareness that happens when we are in love uh, with something in which we don't notice the problematic, or we decide to to be oblivious to the problematic aspects uh, of this uh, entity or or subject or object that we uh, are in love with. And I think that the aspiration of uh, education around Israel should be to create a deep relationship with Israel, to love Israel. There there are so many reasons to love Israel. Uh, You know, Abraham Infield says that for many, many years until the state of Israel was created, the most common adjective next to the word Jew was refugee. Since the state of Israel was established and created, that disappeared, that disappeared from our lexicon. Our children are growing up uh, without thinking about Jews, as refugees, and and we owe that to the state of Israel. So there are many reasons to love the state of Israel. And things that we love, people that we love, uh, sometimes uh, uh, are not perfect. The state of Israel is not perfect. And I think we need to see, we need to be able to to see it, to criticize it, Um, and and we need to develop conversations uh, around Israel. And I think that if we don't develop those conversations, we. Instead, instead of uh, uh, growing closer, we grow apart. We we in order, so we try not to criticize, so we don't uh, uh, distance ourselves from the state of Israel. But that's 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 in my opinion the wrong approach. Now one word about the Israeli uh, the Israeli uh, society. Micha a uh, wonderful scholar, one of the in my opinion best or, or, or most prominent Jewish thinkers uh, of our time. Um, he, he speaks about the outcome uh, or the outcomes of the, the uh, digital revolution, and he says that, and he compares between the American society and the East Chinese society. He 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 says that one of the clear outcomes of the digital revolution is that people uh, tend to to be more polarized in their uh, in in their conversations because. But they are not conversing; they are, you know, interchanging or, or uh, monologues, and that left and right, and we know that very well in the United States, grew apart. They are they are more distant than ever. Now in Israel, left and right, they attack each other more than ever before,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but ideologically, they are not as far from each other. Most right has understood and accepted the idea. That that there is no a, a real chance for Eretz Israel Hashlema, for the for the whole uh, land of Israel to be a part of the state of Israel. Uh, and this is true for for most of the right in Israel. There are some groups in the in the far right, but most most right wingers know that. For the left, most left knows that it's very difficult now to find a, a partner. Uh, uh, to to create uh, shalom, to create peace, uh, they understand that there's way more nuance than what they uh, used to require. So politically speaking, they've never been that close. The speech is uh, still uh, very far from each other. And I think that for for the American viewer, you know, for, here from the Gola, uh, from the diaspora, it's very difficult to understand. It's very difficult to understand that the Israeli society has moved politically to the center, to a center that is mostly uh, center to the right, uh, and it's not that much in the in the far right or in the far left. Even though when we see uh, some uh, extremists uh, coming, as the case of Itamar Ben-Gvir, um, this member of the parliament that seems to be uh, doing very well for the uh, incoming elections. So they, they do get some support, but it's a very specific support. And even the right doesn't want to be done engaged uh, with him. They want his seats in the Knesset, but they clearly don't want him. so there's an interesting uh, dynamic uh, happening there,
0: yeah, no, that's all that's all really interesting. and i I think I agree with with everything you just said. There's an interesting trend when it comes to American Jews, you know, very much, I think, the importance of nuance, the importance of education. I like how you uh, plug the article. I promise I'm not giving uh, Nico any royalties every time anyone clicks. Um,
1: But you should put a link uh, next to this talk.
0: Yeah, I should. That's a good idea. Um, I just need to figure out how to actually do that. But, you know, slowly learning this technology one day at a time. A lot of times I've seen when, when Americans, I won't even talk about American Jews, when Americans talk about Israel, the vast majority of the time, they're not actually talking about real Israel they're using Israel almost as a metaphor for whatever their gripes are in terms of America. So I, ah, I, I see your face I for a second. It. I did. Well, so I didn't understand your question. No, 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 you, 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 answered, you answered the first part of the question. This is sort of, you know, moving along a little bit because I, I see this firsthand, you know, both in American political discourse and on campus where you have the far left attack against Israel. Some of it is, you know, we can debate the extent to which it's rooted in actual fact on the ground, a lot of it is obviously just a mirror of American political discourse that they're just using Israel as sort of, I don't want to say a scapegoat, but a metaphor. And I think in the- No. Yeah, go for it. So, uh, so,
1: so le- let me just, I, I feel very strongly about this. So uh, let me intersect you for one second. The in, in the left, the problem that we have right now is that Americans, uh, in in the far left, I would say, they see Israel through the lens of historical conflicts and struggles in the United States, and so they judge uh, the interaction uh, uh, between Israelis and Palestinians through the lens of slavery in uh, in the United States. or uh, and 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 uh, and and then. Then Israel becomes a white supremacist, and, and so we, we get all these uh, uh, out of context uh, definitions. And I think that what they what what it shows is the lack of nuance in those that are accusing. Like the, 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 this idea that if these lens work for America, they should work for everyone else. And I think that's so problematic, so problematic, uh, and. I I,
0: I appreciate the interruption because that's, that's actually where I was going. I think you said it a lot, a lot stronger than, than I did. I think there's also some element happening in sort of the wider American pro-Israel community, not, not to the same extent of being mirrored through an American lens, but the way that a lot of people relate to Israel, you know, the, the famous example is the, the Leon Uris Exodus book that was published in the 1950s of sort of, Israel being this fairy land and, you know, most American Jewish experience of Israel is on a birthright or equivalent trip. And, you know, I I love birthright. I'll be leading a trip in a couple months, so nothing against birthright. But a lot of the way that we relate to Israel also in the American Jewish community is a sort of fairy tale, almost like this, almost like a Jewish holiday, right? Like we have Pesach when God took us out of Egypt and we went, wandered through the desert into Israel. And then we have 48 and 67 when, you know, we won these, these heroic wars and again, there's a failing to, to deal with a lot of the nuance of politics because the way that we're relating to Israel is almost as a deeply Jewish value, which is great, but I think that that then it clouds some of the ability to actually come in and say, okay, well, the state of Israel, not the land of Israel, the state of Israel is a political entity. It's a political entity with, you know, pluses and minuses, just like all political entities. And oftentimes, whenever criticism of that political entity comes to the forefront, a lot of people feel personally attacked because wait, this is my story, this is my Jewishness. Whereas the reality is yes to everything you said in terms of Israel is of course, a crucial part of Jewish identity, all of that. And also because the state of Israel is a political entity that should be able to be discussed, criticized, condemned, whenever they do something that's that's worthy of that. And there should be no contradiction there, even though for a lot of people, it does feel like there is.
1: Uh, Yeah, rightfully so. In terms of uh, being able to criticize uh, the state of Israel. You know, I think that um, one of the things that we have dealt with uh, quite a bit lately is this idea of uh, categorizing Israel as an apartheid uh, state. and that's also so problematic, is to bring a, a, a definition of a category that existed in a, in a different time, in a very different place, in very different circumstances. And to say, we're going to use this very strong concept mm-hmm. to categorize something that we struggle with right now, even though if it that uh, obligates us to change the definition of that concept, which the uh, Amnesty did. Uh, and uh, in order just to just to tag on people's minds uh, this terrible uh, idea uh, and connect that with how the interactions between uh, Israelis and Palestinians go. The problem, uh, or first, the problem with that is that it's a fallacy, is false. But the, the second problem with that is that when you say that an Israel is an apartheid state, What you are saying is that Israel has no right to be. You you are not criticizing the state of Israel. You are saying that the state state of Israel is a system that has no right to exist because, let's be honest, apartheid states, they shouldn't shouldn't exist. Mm -hmm. So when you come and say that, you are, in in a way, denying the existence of the state of Israel. And And I... and I believe that for some people that's um that's a claim that comes out of um lack of awareness mm-hmm. um but for some people, I think it's a very a, clear a, agenda a, to the the, G- dilema, the G- delegitimize or well, delegitimize the state of Israel.
0: Yeah, 100 percent. And just to plug a past podcast, I did a whole episode on Israel and the double standard after one of the recent reports about calling Israel an apartheid state came out. So if people are curious for a lot more conversation about that. Um, I think it was literally called Israel and the double standard. Um, so I guess moving moving. Yeah, there we go. M- moving from uh, one political mess to another. Let's let's come back to America for a moment. Um, me and you, I think this was already two, two and a half years ago, did a. Um, did a class series on the idea of civil debate in Judaism and how that might be able to be fomented and fostered into wider American society. Um, for whatever reason, I'm still trying to figure it out. Our class must not have worked well enough because politics here hasn't been magically fixed after our uh, four-part series. So maybe we, uh, maybe we, sh- we should have continued. But you know, both both in terms of a general sense of how. We can bring Jewish ideas and Jewish values into our political discourse in a year where we obviously have the midterms coming up in a few months. There's, of course, the president, the next presidential election is probably going to start sometime in the next year with people, you know, starting to run. One, how Jewish ideas can affect that, and then two, on a more specific level, and you can sort of take this however you want. There's been a lot of discussion in the Jewish community about particular issues. I'm specifically thinking of the abortion issue that really proliferated through this year and how specifically Judaism as a very nuanced tradition actually has views that don't fit into either political binary and what sort of Jewish tradition and the tri- the history of Jewish nuance can bring to all of these sort of hot button issues.
1: So you're talking about abortion.
0: In the specific case. Yeah. You know, <laughs>
1: It's an interesting thing that we have all these um, slogans uh, and signs uh, that say, abortion is a Jewish value. Um, and I, I hope, I will say something and I, and I and I hope people keep listening for 30 more seconds. Uh, abortion is not a Jewish value. Abortion is not a Jewish value. Lechaim for life, is a Jewish value. Now, when we say life, We mean something very different. We mean that the life of the mother, uh, and in a gender uh, uh, neutral way, the parent, takes precedence over the life of the fetus. And we have a variety of circumstances that include mental well being and mental health uh, to, to, to justify, to explain. The, uh, our claim or, or, or our idea. Abortion is not a Jewish value. Judaism is no uh, advocating for abortion uh, as a as a search in life. And so again, when we speak in slogans, I think that we sometimes oversimplify. And it, you know, sometimes that's how it works. But I think that the value is life, and from that perspective, I think Jews need to think about. How we are going to guarantee people's lives, um, and, and uh, there's a huge question uh, around this uh, for these elections. But this is also true uh, uh, for mental health. This is also true uh, for um, for uh, uh, healthcare, and and by that I don't mean that I know uh, this is not a partisan claim. It's, you know, I think that that Jews should be concerned about the level of health care or mental care and accessibility for to abortion uh, besides their uh, partisan views. Mm-hmm. Because, because we prioritize life and human dignity. And yes, from that perspective, then we have Uh, the when a life uh, begins. And that, uh, of course, in the context of abortion gives to most uh, uh, Jewish communities and thinkers and uh, streams a clear line in terms of what we uh, support and what we don't.
0: Yeah, I I totally agree. And I really like that idea that we have to be wary about using Judaism as sort of a political spade. And, you know, it obviously happens on, on both sides of the aisle. There, you know, from a more almost epistemological sense, I'll use a fancy word there. In some way, I think the importance of having a robust tradition of discussion, such as such as Judaism on any number of topics, is to act as an important bulwark against any type of contemporary issues that come up. So that's not to say that every time a new issue comes up, let's defer to Jewish tradition. But I think part of the value of studying Jewish tradition. Is we're bringing three thousand years of debate into our consideration on any contemporary topic, and so that actually I think is an important stopgap against every single week. Well, a new issue comes up. I have no idea what I think about it, so let me just follow you know whatever my partisan group is. You know, I'm reminded of the famous uh, Mordechai Kaplan um, line that halacha or Jewish law should always have a vote, not a veto, which I think is a really important uh, consideration. And I think. I think abortion is a fascinating example there. Um, just as an aside, I'm gonna be teaching um, my class at UC Irvine about Jewish text starting in a couple of weeks. And one of the weeks we talk about responsas in the week that we delve into halacha and the halachic process. And so last year I had them read a 25 page responsa about COVID vaccination in Jewish law. This year I'm changing it up and I'm gonna have them read an analysis of abortion in halacha. And I'm really, it's the week I'm probably most excited about because I think it'll break probably every single stereotype one could have about religion and abortion and Judaism and all that.
1: Well, interesting uh, uh, in that, I think it's it's kind of more than interesting. It's, It's fascinating how we work because basically what you are describing is the nuance like how things happen in conversation and we understand certain concepts as the outcome of an ongoing conversation. And the voices of the present, they're very important uh, in the the, uh, nuance that we are trying to find for that conversation because we have our circumstances, we have uh, a variety of motivations because we live in a different society, right? Uh, I always like to say, in the context of a Shabbat, to make a Shabbat, to make this sacred value uh, uh, for your generation, an eternal covenant. Like, and, and this is true for other Jewish laws and for other Jewish ideas. So we are we are seeking here for what does it mean to to be seekers and protectors of life, and and in in that context, in my in my opinion, is to have, uh, of course, to uh, to have a constitutional right. Uh, 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 for abortion and over your body. Um, But we often kill the nuance, which is the foundation of our strength in the simplification of a slogan. And and I really want to emphasize this. You know, we kill the nuance, which is the foundation of our strength in the simplification for a slogan. Um, And, you know, and that goes back to What's more important, right? The uh, the study of Torah or fulfilling its We like to have this conversation, and and, uh, and, and the rabbis answer the study Why? of Torah yeah. because it leads to fulfilling its And I think that th- this uh, connects us with this idea of the of the nuance. If if we are engaging in conversation, if we are studying, if we bring depth uh, to our arguments, I think that our actions uh, become. Deeper and more meaningful.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. And and I think that is of course true for abortion. I think it's true for for politics, real large as well. Um, where, yeah, I mean, you know, we're not going to say anything new on the topic, but it, it is sad how all-consuming I think politics has become in a mostly detrimental way. And I, I think you you really see the residual effects that it has on people, just in terms of the twenty-four hours news cycle and and everything like that. Um, I think this actually gets us to the last thing that I wanted to talk about, which, of course, is also not a new issue, but I think its importance is is growing every year as the detrimental effect has every year. The wider, you know, this is not, of course, a Jewish issue, but just wider mental health in America, really in the world in general, is is in a really difficult state. I, I think, you know, both because of COVID and isolation, but also just the proliferation of social media, which I'm just continuously convinced is, you know, almost entirely negative, even though I, I use it a lot. Um, and, and just all, you know, listen, um, and, and just what it's doing to our society. And I think it's something that I, I've seen a little bit of Jewish organizations paying more and more attention and talking about things like loneliness and anxiety and depression and addiction more and more openly. Um, our last podcast was actually all about addiction and recovery. But I think this is something that we have to make a more explicit and conscious effort in the year to come. And, you know, I I think sadly, given the state of of where we are, the problem is only going to get worse in the coming year. And so it's up to us more and more to make sure to take concrete steps to create those spaces and show that the Jewish community is open, inclusive, and has some of the resources that people that are struggling can, can use.
1: So help me, help me uh, understand you better. Uh, are we talking about social media or we are talking about a, a, a mental a health uh, crisis or both? I,
0: at, at this point, I'm, I'm honestly not sure those two things can be can be disconnected super neatly. I mean, obviously, mental health issues did exist pre social media, right? I don't think social media is just the devil itself that came and started infecting everybody. But just there's more and more research coming out, especially as people are spending more and more time on social media, that it is a huge part. I think of a growing mental health crisis, especially. I mean, this you know the younger you are, I think the worse this affects you. Sure. And, and, and so at this point, I, I think, I think honestly part of a mature and honestly part of a reasonable education system, whether this is you know, wider American education or Jewish education, is responsible use of social media. Meaning I I you know I think all Hebrew schools should have classes about Judaism and social media. And what does it mean to be Jewish on social media? Not just in the sense where if I disagree with your politics, I write, Nico, you're an idiot, you know, exclamation point, all caps. But actually, what does it mean for how we want to be intentional with our time? How do we want to spend our time? What does it mean to have a relationship with others? You know, who, all of that. So
1: that's so interesting because you are taking this to, uh, to the place of how we interact with each other. And I think that the and i think that that's certainly one of the challenges the the the, the challenge related to social media that is uh, most concerning to me is this uh, this search for um for approval like uh, how many likes i got how how many views uh, we got right um when you are talking about um something that you are trying to sell um you know a podcast <laughs> or, or something that you want to have exposure for but that makes lots of sense the problem is that Listen,
0: Nico, want- it, the, the 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 want for likes is bad except for when we do it right when when, when, yes. when we post it it's noble we have no ulterior motives you know yeah
1: correct <laughs> exactly but but, uh, but you know uh, Jonathan Hyde speaks about that quite a bit in the canon of the american society the, this idea that you know social media is uh, one of the um, Uh, uh, main uh, sources for uh, um, uh, teenagers, uh, adolescents, depression, because part of what is is happening there is that we are, that they post their picture and now it's not, you know, it switched over the last 10 years. Uh, It was, it's not anymore about your friends seeing a picture of you at some point. It's about how many people are liking, that picture. Uh, what are the comments that you are receiving? And I think that to be in a in a status of a, a constantly seeking for you know approval. You know, in Facebook you can put your status right. So the the, the constant status for Facebook and social media in general is seeking for approval, mm-hmm. seeking for support, seeking to make waves. Um, and I think that, Jewishly speaking, what we need to do with our children uh, and uh, with ourselves to some extent is to help them and teach them how to rethink social media. Social media is here and and it'll stay. Mm-hmm. Um, so so we need to talk about how to use social media responsibly, not only how in how we interact with others, but how we allow social media reflect on ourselves. That my, my biggest concern, you know, my biggest concern as as, a, as the dad of a, a child who is becoming a, a teenager, is a, once he starts uh, using social media, how is that going to uh, influence uh, his, his emotional world? Because we have seen ch- cases of children that crash over lack of uh, support or approval or, or because they were bullied uh, in, in social media. So this is a real a real problem, uh, and, and one of the problems is that our children see us all the time holding our phones, right? Like so so that that's what you do, that's what society does, that's you know what the, the adults, the cool people do. Um, so so I think that rethinking our relationship with social media is an important thing, and and also how much uh, uh, we allow our uh, anxiety. Um, to to grow in in our uh, virtual interactions. I was reading something a couple of days ago that most people expect their emails to be answered within the hour. Don't write to me if that's your expectation, but what I mean is it's a a very interesting expectation. And after an hour, people start to get anxious about an email if they are expecting an answer. Uh, So I think it's, so the expectation is that we are on, all the time connected. And if you hear an answer, uh, there might be something that's wrong. And I think that we really need to rethink our relationship with social media, our relationship with uh, virtual communication. Uh, I'm not suggesting that we need to go back to the past, but we need to think about how we want to live our lives today uh, using these uh, tools that are fantastic, but they're, when they're uh, used you know, without lots of... Uh, serious uh, thinking and maturity invested in their use, uh, they can be truly dangerous.
0: 100%. And the only thing I'll add is, I think, you know, connecting to what we started with, this is a, a great plug for Shabbat, really, because I think, you know, part of part of any Shabbat practice, and, you know, from secular to ultra-Orthodox, I, I think, you know, and, and very rarely do I do I give, you know, prescriptions for how one should act Jewishly. I, I, I think, all Jewish communities should try to cultivate a, at the very least, no social media on Shabbat unless for very specific circumstances. You know, I, I think it's a great way to cultivate, you know, certainly with raising kids in terms of, you know, sure, you know, six days a week, you know, use social media on the seventh day, you rest type thing. Um,
1: there was this uh, Shabbat manifesto uh, that was uh, online that was actually very nice. and. Among other things, uh, they speak about the the use of social media, and it's a quite uh, quite sec- secular document, it, you know. But the thing that the uh, uh, I think this idea that, uh, of yours of uh, connecting the last uh, part of our conversation, which is the use of social media and uh, the interaction in virtual spaces, with the beginning of our uh, conversation in terms of the rehab of the uh, uh, of the muscle of showing up in terms of uh, Shabbat and communal life it, it reminds me of uh, this uh, concept uh, in Perkeah about Altifrost min know, now uh, don't leave the public don't, don't and don't leave the communal life uh, this this and there's an interesting question around that uh, uh, around rabbis ask is that even possible for you to live the the, the life to 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 abandon the the public life and so, and there are different opinions in terms of what's possible or not. But I would like to think that no, you can't actually disconnect yourself, uh, abandon the life of a community. We need to be in community, and I think that it's important to to choose and to be mindful of how we want to be in community. It is true about showing up in Shabbat. It is true about doing a Shabbat lunch, and it is true about how we want to interact. Um, in social media and with people that hold different ideas uh, uh, in, in the in the political uh, spectrum.
0: Yeah, I, I love that, and I think you know just just to summarize everything in the coming year, Jews should be thinking about, and Jewish community should be thinking about being more intentional about everything, right? I, I think you know the, the the really the the imperative is to not fall into to routine patterns and doing things just because, oh, that's how wider society is going, or that's what we always do, or, you know, this is sort of the flow, but actually consciously reflecting on every new thing that comes up. What do we think of this? How should we tackle this? You know, how do we bring, bring nuance in there to it? Um, anything else? You know, what what other questions, issues, topics? You know, we have two or three minutes left, but, you know, any any parting words before this, uh, Jewish New Year here.
1: So so you think that uh, Jews should be thinking about intentionality? uh, And I will say that Jews should be thinking about community. Community. How to be a a part of the community. How to be intentional about uh, building a community and holding on to community and also about what are the communities they want to be a part of. Just like in the context of social media, an important thing. And once you identify your community and you feel deeply connected to your community, maybe you don't need to seek approval for every, from everyone. You don't need a hundred likes on Facebook. You just need to, to like those that are around you or even when you disagree with them uh, and for them to like you to some extent. And I think that that's an important thing, um, an important thing to keep in mind. We need to be intentional about building community.
0: Amen. Well, Rabbanico, thank you so much. This was so much fun. Yes, as always. And uh, I want to acknowledge that
1: I have some bias. Uh, I haven't argued with you uh, too strongly because I love you. Uh,
0: so. <laughs> well, we'll have to do another podcast sometime, maybe after the game where we just, you know, the five issues we disagree about the most and we can have a six hour podcast and, you know, no one uh, will do it except for uh, us.
1: I would call I would call it the, the five issues in which Daniel is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> there we go.
0: I love it. Well Shonatova, thank you so much. To- That's great. <laughs>